This is Millennially Speaking, a podcast about politics, pop culture, and everything in between. I'm David Latimer. This week, we're talking about the president's proposal to buy Greenland, a cable network's channel drift, and the surprise retirement of a young quarterback. But first, I'd like to talk about Greenland. So we were off last week, but during that time and a little bit of the week before, there was a lot of discussion about President Trump had talked with some key advisors and some of his just people in his inner circle about the real potential of purchasing Greenland. So Greenland is currently owned by Denmark, and they are they're a very large nation. They are in the sort of the upper right-hand corner above Canada, and Trump had actually organized a meeting with Denmark, and they really didn't know why. There wasn't really any kind of, like, trade agreement or uh, any kind of, like, solid reason, per se, as to why this would be going on, um, but they went along with it, obviously, because they are a, they're, they're a nation that is getting attention from a major country like the United States, so they said, sure. They decided they're going to roll out the red carpet for him. They were going to have this just bunch of ceremonies and lots of just pomp and circumstance to welcome the American president. But then this uh, proposal sort of comes out, uh, sort of leaked into the media that Trump was talking about wanting to buy Greenland, and uh, Denmark was having none of it, Denmark and Greenland. So so while Greenland is owned by Denmark, they're sort of run in their own way. They have their own government. They have their own, obviously, their own people. So neither were too excited about this. They actually posted on some of their social networking, their social media, that uh, Greenland is open for business and not for sale. So even though this was sort of rumor and things that were just happening within the administration, they were not having it. They had no interest in that. And I believe it was the leader of either Denmark or Greenland, I forget which one, um, one of them called it like an absurd idea to to purchase the country. And Trump, because of that particular phrasing, he was just totally against the whole thing and decided, you know what, fine, we're just not going to have this meeting anymore. So he decided we're not going to have a meeting with Denmark. We're not going to have all these ceremonies and things. I'm just going to pull out of the meeting. So I'm not really sure what the point of the meeting was. He never really said my guess would be he, because he really did want to buy Greenland and he was hoping that this would be a good opportunity to maybe butter up the government of Denmark into potentially allowing him to purchase Greenland. And the weirdest thing to me is not necessarily the idea that we wanted to buy Greenland, but the idea that it was a rumor that was never confirmed and then we just sort of Everyone just started taking it, like, really seriously, like this really big, uh, I don't know, like it, like it was a real diplomatic possibility. And to me, that was just bizarre. Because if you look at sort of world history and current history, countries are not really expanding much anymore. I mean, there's, there's a couple of instances where you've got Russia uh, annexing Crimea. You have some sort of strongman things where they seize land like that. Um, but countries are not really selling anymore. We're not manifest destinying anymore. So to, I mean, for us, at least the last time that we really were purchasing and expanding was sort of back when we were buying Alaska. And I don't see much of that happening much anymore. So, so you, you have that 
already as sort of a going against what's happening in the world right now. But it just it everybody was sort of bending over backwards to to make it seem like this is such a a fantastic idea. And and one of the things that really struck me was you had people who support the president and people who are sort of in his inner circle or his sort of uh, biggest supporters were in favor of it because there was some discussion that, well, as uh, climate change and global warming start to ramp up more, the ice melt up in Greenland, you're going to end up with some more potentially important trade routes that form up there because of the ice melting. That, to me, is just crazy. How is it that in almost every other circumstance when it comes to either energy or the use of coal or wildlife preservation or anything like that, we ignore and and dismiss and have zero interest in talking about climate change, outright denying that it exists or that there is any reason why we would want to care about the uh, environment. But then as soon as we talk about the real reality of things happening and changing and ice melting and, oh, it becomes an important trade route. So climate change exists then. Really? That's just mind boggling. The the audacity of certain commentators and and some of them were saying it sort of in jest and sort of, oh, well, if climate change is happening and if global warming is happening, then we'll have all these important trade routes. But that joke really only works if we all know that they're also kind of serious at the same time. They're not just saying it because they're trying to make fun of the idea of climate change. They're saying it because they're like, yeah, this is another good reason to want Greenland because the ice is melting and we're going to have all these new trade routes. That's crazy to me. I, I don't really know what the real reason that he wanted Greenland was, if it had anything to do with trade routes, if it, uh, I mean, it would be an amazing legacy thing for, for him, sort of this grand purchase of land up in our region. If you were to purchase Greenland, it would be something that Trump could then say was something that he did major, especially because it wasn't really a campaign promise. He didn't say, I'm going to buy Greenland and Mexico's going to pay for it. Uh, he just, out of the blue, is is saying potentially to buy Greenland. So I don't, I don't really know what the strategy here is. I don't really know what, what was the end game of this. You know, it's frozen most of the year. It has some, uh, I believe there's some air bases up there, some military bases up there, but the problem is because it's frozen most of the time, you can't land aircraft there too often. So, I mean, it's not like you're going to be able to make a big flourishing economy up there and, and build all this kind of infrastructure up there. It's very similar in a lot of ways to parts of Alaska, where you really can't build anything. There's the the temperatures up there are so low most of the year and there's there's really not a whole lot you can do up there. So I don't really know what the the purpose is other than I mean to be cynical about it, a vanity project. I don't I'm I'm not I, I'd like to get into his head to if I were to take it seriously like some have, what exactly would be other than vanity and, and sort of a I did this, 
what is the strategic goal? And we may not ever know that because the administration didn't actually want to confirm that this was something that they were seriously considering. It was just sort of joked about within the administration. Trump actually tweeted something out. It was a picture. He said, um, I promise I won't do this to Greenland. And it was just a picture of a, a fake Trump tower or some sort of a skyscraper. I don't know. Maybe he wanted to develop. Maybe he wanted a military base. I don't really know. But I don't know if we'll ever find that out. So next what I'd like to talk about is channel drift. And for those who are not TV nerds like me, I'll explain what that means. So channel drift is when generally it's a cable network. The idea is that whatever the original programming strategy for the network was, whether it's home renovation cable network or it's a cooking network or it's paranormal, whatever it is, like whatever the subject of the cable network generally was going to be when it launched, it has over time changed into something else without the network changing its name, rebranding, whatever. So one of the best examples of this that I see a lot, I see a lot of complaining on Facebook about it, generally from older people, whether they're late boomers or Gen Xers, and that is MTV. And I see memes all the time of 1981 to 2010 when MTV really died and they stopped playing music videos. So I would like to debunk the whole premise of MTV and why MTV no longer plays music videos and why that's not a problem. So MTV obviously came about back in the 80s when music videos were sort of becoming a big thing. They were becoming a really big deal. Um, You had some before that, but really in the 80s, that's when almost every artist would put out a music video and... Some of them were getting really big and really theatrical. I mean, some examples would be like Michael Jackson's Thriller. Um, really, a lot of Michael Jackson's work became sort of these big, almost film-like pieces, uh, just accompanied by his music as well. And they needed a place where you could see them, where the, just sort of the general public could see them. And that was a, a great way to do that because cable television was just sort of becoming its own thing. It had just recently launched during the 70s was when when cable was really starting to become a thing. So MTV is really one of the earliest cable channels out there. So that's what they did. When they launched, it would be 24 hours of music and music videos. But over the years, obviously, things have changed. So they sort of shifted into more reality-based television. Of course, Jersey Shore and uh, Real World are some good examples of how they have completely sort of change their strategy. And really, they don't focus at all on music anymore. There's no... There's some music shows. I know they rebooted TRL, Total Request Live. That was a big show back in the 90s and the early 2000s. But since they did it, the the ratings for it have been so terrible that they've had to revamp it several times, and it does not resemble anything like it was from the original anymore. So... I mean, it's you, you can see that just those little elements are changing a little bit of how we consume music and music videos. But the reason that they had to change is because the industry changed. So who is going to sit there and watch MTV all day so they can wait for a music video they might want to see shuffle through? You know, the internet changed all of that. So if there's a music video you're looking for, artists will put it up on YouTube 
and you can watch it whenever you want and you don't have to sit through this big long playlist of music videos that you don't necessarily care about. If you want to sit through a playlist, you can just go on YouTube and allow their playlists to go. But if you don't like a particular song that comes up, you can just skip and you can just move on to the next one or you can look for something else that you're entertained by. So obviously the industry changed and there's good examples of how MTV is no longer necessary because back in 2016, it was the, I guess that was the 35th anniversary of the launch of MTV. VH1 Classic rebranded as MTV Classic and they changed their programming strategy to be essentially what MTV was when it started. And that's just play music videos from different genres and different eras and just play them throughout the day. They are consistently the one of the lowest rated cable networks on television. So at times they were getting as low as about 7,000 viewers a night, sometimes a little higher, 13,000, 20,000, somewhere in that range. To put that into context, the most watched cable network is Fox News, which gets around 3 million viewers in prime time. And then there's the broadcast networks like your NBCs, your CBSs, things like that. They get around 8 to 7 million viewers a night. So 7,000 people is a big deal. And that matters when you have uh, that your industry is based on revenue of ads. So and MTV is, is not the only network to change their programming strategy and not change their name. So obviously VH1 is another good example. They used to be Video Hits 1. They would... Basically, they're another type of MTV. They play other kinds of music videos. They have turned into the RuPaul's Drag Race kind of uh, a network. That's what VH1 is now. You have networks like Bravo. Bravo, when it launched, used to be sort of a high-class fine arts and theater network. It's now the Real Housewives network. And I don't think anybody nowadays can even imagine it being anything other than the Real Housewives Network. Another recent example of this would be the Oxygen Network. Oxygen used to be something similar to Lifetime, just sort of a a women's entertainment network, something like that. Uh, And recently it rebranded to a true crime network. So their logo looks like the police caution tape and they play true crime stuff, but they didn't change the name of the network. This happens a lot where the programming strategy changes to better fit audience tastes because true crime has sort of exploded in the last few years in terms of people's interests with things like making a murderer on Netflix. Those kinds of things have gotten a lot of attention, so they're trying to capitalize on that. And that's not a problem. The reason that these networks are doing this is because they're trying to capture audiences' attention, and that's a good way to do it. Should they change their name? Well, that's their business. I don't think... Things like MTV, so so their logo used to have music television written below it, and then in 2010 they actually removed that from there. I mean, that doesn't mean anything in terms of how they changed their strategy. They were already shifting that way as far as, you know, 10 to 15 years prior to that was when the real world came about. So, I don't think... I mean, I mean change is inherently necessary when it comes to entertainment because our tastes are always changing and we still have ways of watching music videos it's through the internet so i think the only reason people are really complaining about it is nostalgia and 
if it were a network of any other name, MTV would be no different from anything else. It's just because people associate it with music or a certain generation associate it with music. But then there's other generations who don't at all. They don't really think of it as the music television network or, or music videos at all. And I don't think that's a problem. I just think people need to adjust their mindset when they think about what MTV and those kinds of networks are now. So lastly, what I wanted to talk about is the retirement of Andrew Luck. So he was a quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, and we are just about to start the new season of football. And just last week, he announced that he was going to retire. Now, it's it's kind of abnormal for someone to retire at this point during the season anyway, because we are about to begin the season. Generally, people retire towards the end of the season or during the off-season. So it, it's already unusual for him to retire in August. But not only that, he's only played for seven seasons, and he is 29 years old. He is only six years older than me, and he has decided to retire from his career. And there's a lot of discussion about this. There's a lot of people confused by it. There's a lot of people that are upset by it. Um, Here's sort of the statement that he made at a press conference when he announced his retirement. He said, I've been stuck in this process. I haven't been able to live the life I want to live. It's taken the joy out of this game. The only way forward for me is to remove myself from football. This is not an easy decision. It's the hardest decision of my life, but it's the right decision for me. So he cited a couple of things during that press conference. Specifically, he had a set of injuries and rehab associated with that. And that also it was sort of a uh, a tax on his mental health. And I so so obviously I feel as though your personal and mental health are the absolute most important thing to you. The well-being of your own self is super important. And for someone like him to to get all these injuries and to have all this these problems, you you definitely want to focus on yourself. And and being so young to even think, you know, I'm going to retire at this point. You have people like Tom Brady who are still playing and he's getting into his 40s. So he's really young, but I think it was the right move for him. Now, there's a lot of fans who are pretty upset about this. And I can sort of understand that because it's the beginning of the season. And if you're a Colts fan, you can imagine that this might affect your season now at this point. But I think they're all really sort of unfounded and unnecessary complaints from fans. There was one analysis that I heard on, uh, I, I don't remember what show it was, but it was on Sirius XM um, Sports Radio. And one of the things that they were saying is that fans tend to have this sort of ownership over players. They They feel like they sort of own these players because of the way that fandom is working and the way that you feel so attached to these players that if they let you down, you're willing to throw them away and you're willing to to just be done with them. And I definitely feel like that's something that's happening right here. I definitely feel like 
there are, and I'm not saying it's everyone because some of them really are understanding, especially because talking about mental health is something that's a lot easier nowadays because I think we used to sort of put that aside and not want to talk about it, especially when it comes to professional athletes, because that's sort of seen as a sign of weakness, whether it's mental health or your, your physical health and how you feel post season or during the season. But yeah, I think fans are definitely, some fans are feeling betrayed, feeling let down and they feel like he owes them something like by retiring when he did, he's, I mean, he was in the prime of his career. He's still really young. He still has a lot more potential in him when it comes to football. And I think fans are just feeling that disappointment. Definitely. And the other thing that's important to remember about Andrew Luck is that he's somebody that's been playing football for a long time. Uh, If you know anything about his childhood, he, he played football a lot. Like, that was his main thing. As you can imagine, somebody who ends up being in the NFL, they are... You know, they're in high school football, they play college football. As you can imagine, this is something that they've been doing a lot. And I think the other irony is his father, Oliver Luck, is actually the commissioner of the new XFL, which is supposed to launch at the end of this NFL season. So it's clear that football is something that's very important to this family and something that's very important to who Andrew and his father are. So, obviously, this was something that I'm sure was not an easy decision. And and not to say that he didn't think about it. I'm sure he has agonized over this potential decision. I just really hope that this was a decision that was rooted in not quick jumping decision, you know, like a he really thought it out and that this was the best move because sometimes we do make sort of rash decisions and and quick decisions based on temporary problems. But, and I truly think that this was something that he did think out. I'm just saying I really do hope that it is because to end a career so young, it just, it feels like I really hope that he has, has really thought it through. But regardless, I wish him luck. I hope he finds a good second career. I don't know what that might be. Perhaps it could be something administrative with the XFL, with his father, should he decide to do that. I don't know if he wants to sort of remove himself from the football career completely, or, I mean, he could be a commentator. A lot of former NFL players end up being commentators, so he could do that. I don't really know what the future holds for him, but I hope he finds something that brings some kind of joy back to his life because it seems as though he's been really struggling for quite some time. And that's all for this edition of Millennially Speaking. I'm David Latimer. Be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you like this podcast, share us with your friends. We're also on Instagram at millennially underscore speaking. Thanks for listening.